Thank you uh, for giving, uh, getting, giving me this opportunity to talk to you about stewardship. Now, our church had this series where we actually, it come under the word become, to become. Now to become is a continuous journey of pleasing God. It's a continuous journey of pleasing God. Now, I do not know how most of you have actually walked in the Lord for a long while. I do not know how you walk, but personally, for 42 years of my life, what I found is self-reflective in my perspective. So I cannot say that you should, but the high chances of this is true. That living a life, a conscious journey of living a life pleasing to God, give me purpose. It gave me meaning and it fulfilled my life. From my teenage years as a, a, a high school student to my university years, working life, got married, have children, and now my children have children, grandchildren. All through the life, I find that a continuous journey living a life pleasing to God is purposeful, meaningful, and fulfilling. Fulfilling. So it's a good life. It's a good life. Now, just to remind ourselves, this is not for us to bring, uh, to gain brownie points or points to earn our salvation. But it's the result of us being saved. So to become a conscious journey of living a life pleasing to God, it's not about earning our salvation, but the result of being saved. Now, we can progress forward in this journey. It is because we have, number one, okay, it's a bit small, we have the agency of the Holy Spirit working within us. We have the Holy Spirit working us. Therefore, we can progress. We can progress. Every child of God have the Holy Spirit within us, working out. If not, there's no chance of success. Number two, number two is because we have the mercy of God. The mercy of God is actually restorative in all phases of our journey. It's not the case whereby you make one failure, you go back to square one. Three strikes, you're out. No. But we move on. Through even our failures and slowly we progress on and we move on with this journey. Because in the word, in 1 John 8 to 10, it taught about when we confess our sin, He's just and He's faithful and He will forgive us. So our journey is such a way as we progress, we make failure, we come back to God for mercy, He will forgive us and we move on. Not three strikes, you're out, or you go back to square one. Okay? That's why we can progress. We can progress. And then, we have the Holy Scripture to guide us. We have the Word of God, the Holy Scripture to guide us. We have the Holy Scripture. It's not something arbitrary. When we study God's Word, we have God's Word to guide us. So we can progress on this journey because we have a blueprint something to guide and in it especially when we study 
Jesus and Jesus' life. Therefore, we have this series on Christ-likeness. And finally, we have each other to help us along. Hebrew 10, 24, 25 say that when we meet together, we encourage one another to love and to good work. So we have each other. So as we actually move to become in this journey to please God, we have all this working for us. The Holy Spirit within us, the mercy of God, so that we will not just be struck out. We have the Holy Scripture and we have the church to help us along. Okay, so this is why we are going this becoming. Right. If you can add something else to, to this, please see me, tell me, and I'd like to improve on my notes. Okay, thank you very much. Now, today we are talking about stewardship. Now, this is what we're going to uh, have. Uh, I'm going to talk this, my structure of my sermon. Now, first, we have to anchor what we talk about stewardship, about Jesus' teaching in the parable of the three servants. It's called the parable of three servants or the parable of the talent. You see that it's probably uh, the same parable. It's the same parable. In different translations, it's called the three servants. Some are called the parable of the talent. Next, we also not only see Jesus' teaching, but we also see Jesus' life as the example of a perfect stewardship. So we are actually seeing, not, we are not just uh, looking at what Jesus taught, but also what Jesus is when he was on earth. He was, he was on earth. Okay, it anchored uh, in, uh, to me, I'm going to use John chapter 17. We relook John chapter 17 again in this slide. And we can read, we can actually read the elements of stewardship there. And then I'll go forward and we will have three principles of stewardship. The ownership versus stewardship. The administration of stewardship. And what's the reason for this exercise of stewardship? Then we'll end. Now as I say that we're going to anchor our thoughts on Jesus' teaching as well as Jesus' life. Okay? Now, I will elaborate the parable of the servant in Matthew 25, verse 14 to 30. Most of us probably know the story, but we'll go on again. And I will also read Jesus' prayer, which contains element of stewardship in John chapter 17. Now, in the parable of that Jesus gave with the three servants, primarily is about material possession. You see that the, the, the master or the king gave some material possession, gold, to his servant. Many times we, we only look at that material possession. But if we turn the thing to look at how Jesus, without, Jesus is actually without uh, hardly any, very much material possession. But he's still a great steward. He's a perfect steward. So in that, we enlarge the scope of stewardship from just material possession to include everything. Let me repeat that. The parable of the talent is actually thinking with the metaphor of material possession. The master gave something, gold, gold, to the servant, material possession. 
That is Jesus' teaching of how we should treat material possession. But I want to actually bridge it with Jesus' life. Jesus, the perfect steward, he did not have coin. The coin he had, he had to get it from the fish. You will know the story. And probably he have his clothes. He is actually materially poor. But he is a perfect steward. So by bridging these two, I want to cover that our stewardship is actually about everything. Everything. Not just your time, your money, your house, your... No, it's about everything. And you see it a bit later. Now the first principle of stewardship, is it ownership or stewardship? Let me go up my note here. Okay. Can I just read to you, or maybe I'll just tell you the story or the parable of the three servants as we found in Matthew chapter 25 verse 14 to 30. In that parable, you can open your Bible to that. I will always, I, I, I really prefer the living Bible in that because it gives a more uh, contemporary language and we can understand that. Now, it talks about a master who is going on a journey and before he goes on the journey, he called three of his servants Three of his servants to come to him and say, Look here, the first servant, I'm going to give you this much of gold. 5,000 pocket, 5,000 tons of gold or whatever. Actually, he uh, said talent. One talent is actually supposed to be three months wages. So he gave uh, five talent, which is 15 month wages. Gold equivalent to 15 month wages to the, the first servant and say, Look here, now, be responsible with it and actually be good steward of it. He gave it to, to the first servant. To the second servant, he just gave two talents, which is six months of wages to the servant. And say, do the same. You know, be responsible for this as a steward. And finally, to the last servant, the, the third one, he gave one talent. One talent three months salary which is still a lot to manage and he said look here I'm going off and he just went off on his journey now the first servant quickly used whatever he had been given and he started to trade and he started to work at it and he multiplied it from five talent to ten talent double and so is the same as the second servant he took whatever given to him and he multiplied it from two to four. But the last servant said, look here, somehow I think my master is very calculative. I wouldn't want to take risks or I don't take, do anything. So he dug a hole, he buried that, that, that gold and he left it at that so that nobody knows about it and so that nobody can steal it. So when the master came back, I can give it back to him. And say, look here, I owe you nothing. It's back. And the master did return after some time. And when the master returned, the first servant said, look here, I give you ten back, five which I've earned more, and the five you've given me, this is it. To the second servant, he said, look here, you gave me two, I give you four back. And both the master said, look here, well done. Enter into my joy. And I'm going to give you 
more things to be entrusted of. More responsibility. Enter to my joy, enter to be, uh, be more trusted and you're given more responsibility because you are respons- you have shown that you are responsible for what you're given good. Coming to the, the third servant, the third servant said, look here, nah, take back. You have given me this much, I owe you nothing, this is what you have. And the master looked at him and said, look here, what have you done? Say it's because you, uh, the, the 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 servant told him, "I knew that you are weak. Uh, you 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 reap, you 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 reap what you do not sow. You take from what you didn't work at it. So I'm giving back to you. Nothing's lost there anyway. So this is it. And the master said, "You wicked and lazy servant. You wicked and lazy servant. You could take the money and put it in the bank." Put it in the bank. Actually, during that time when Jesus spoke of this parable, there is a banking system started by the Phoenician, whereby you can put in the bank and get interest. So it is actually the bank system is, is quite quite old. So put in the bank and at least gain some interest and then come back to me and I can get interest. And the master was not happy and said, because of that, take whatever you have and give to the first servant and the, the master actually say, cast him out, cast him out. He have done wrong. Simple story told by Jesus. Now the first principle is ownership or stewardship. Ownership or stewardship. Whatever the master gives to this servant belongs to the master, right? But more than that, even the servant actually belong to the master. It's not just what they, 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 they got, the master gave entrusted to them. The servant themselves do belong to the masters. So everything belongs to the master actually. So that, so the challenge for us is, what is mine and what is God? Now, I believe God entrusted to us and there's some guideline which gives alright, for example, we will teach our children, say, maybe 10% of what you have straight away set apart for the Lord. And that comes to our mind, you know. And then we say that, look here, 10% belong to God. Yes, God, this is yours. But 90% is mine. You get what I mean? 10% of my time I give to God. But 90% of my time is mine. I think that's a challenge for us to say that all is God. All is God. Isn't that a challenge? Because it really is. And I think Elaine brought it up in the psalm. All is God. Even us. Even we are God. God has His claim on us. All is us. So what is God is what is mine and that's the challenge. Next thing is how we do rob God. How do we rob God? Now, even after we have given or done something for the Lord, we rob God of the glory of it. We rob God of His glory of it. Now, when we look at Jesus' life, in His prayer in Matthew chapter seven, uh, in John chapter seventeen, the first thing He prayed was the glory of God. 
If gone through all the verses about Jesus and God, he always say, my work is to work, do the Father's work. I bring glory to the Father. So how do we rob God? Is actually rob God with our agenda when we do things, rob God of the glory which is supposed to go to Him. That's how we rob God. Now, let me take you... Now, we, I have the opportunity to go to the Hermitage Palace in St. Petersburg. It's a beautiful, big palace with many, many beautiful rooms. Many, many beautiful rooms. I think one... The, the Melbourne or Melbourne Museum is probably just a small storehouse to this one. There are two million art objects extremely well collected by the Empress Catherine the Great. Catherine the Great. Catherine the Great. And she built this palace with all these compartments. There are two million. And in it, I saw what we call the peacock clock. Is a, a, a big mechanism, look like a peacock, thing moving around to tell the time, everything moving. It's lovely. And then, this is the room inside. Beautiful. Built by Catherine the Great. While we are there, we have a guide. We have a guide which, she's very good. She's very good because she can take us through, bypass all the queue to a secret entrance, and we get in ahead of the bill and, and we, we, we have a seamless uh, uh, visit there. And not only that, she will just point to us and explain to us all the artwork, which I would not have a clue what they mean. But, but once she explained the story behind the artwork or the, 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 the room and all that, becomes something meaningful, something I find very enriching for the experience. It was the enriching experience because of the guide explaining to us all these things. I came back very awed by Catherine the Great. I forgot who the guy is now. The glory which we actually when we actually do God's work is such a way that God is glorified and people forget us. People will not remember us. And that is giving the full glory to God. And that's a challenge, isn't it? That's, very, that's a very good practice for our church where we give, we give, and then we, in offering, we give in a way that is confidential. We don't tell you who gave how much and all that. Because the glory belongs to God. And before that, I was thinking of it. This, the point about the glory going, uh, going to God. That is a part whereby, as we manage project, when we give you project or we manage project, we like you to actually claim ownership on it. In management, we say claim ownership of it in such a way that because you claim ownership of it, you try to do it the best you can. The best you can. I think I enjoy the worship every bit because they try to do the best they can. Claim ownership to it. 
and such a way that I enjoy them because they point me to God. There is a struggle between us claiming ownership to possess it and also to do well, but not to claim the glory of it. So we like everybody doing the ministry to claim ownership of it. Do your best. Do it best. And just remember, pray and point the glory back to the Lord. So that's a struggle. It's not easy, but we hope that in prayer, in our walking in relationship to God, walking along, I'm sure the Lord and the Holy Spirit will help you in this area. Okay? Now, the second principle of stewardship, the administration of stewardship. One of the things you notice that when the master went away, he didn't give instruction to the servant. Where are you? I want you to buy 50 herd of cow, 20 sheep, or do whatever. He gave total freedom for the servant to act in the way they can have the freedom to express themselves to actually work at it. This is a principle which came true also in the beginning of creation. When God created in His image, He gave us dominion, rule over all the creatures. God wants people who are created in His image to have rule, dominion, exercise our freedom, responsibility to rule and to have dominion. So this is the, the one of the principles which I want to pass to you. God gives us not everybody stereotype way of handling the resources which God entrusted to you. You have to work within your sphere of influence, the sphere of the resources which you have, you have to work in. And some of you are given more responsibility than that. You are also acting on behalf of the church. You are given that sphere. You are given that freedom to act creatively, responsibly. That's the one thing. The freedom to res- be responsibly and to be the creative. So that is the principle. Next is we have to keep our eye while we are free to do all the project we want to do. We must keep our eye on the ball. I think that's the correct one. You know, keep your eye on the ball. That's what I always try to do when I play golf. It never happen. Now, there are three when we are talking now. This this uh, parable put us in a business environment. Now, in a business environment, we ask three questions as regard to the issue. Is it operational issue? Is it tactical issue? Or is it strategic issue? We actually come across these three uh, ways of responding to a situation. Is it operational issue? Is it tactical issue? Or is it a strategic issue? All right. Now, let me explain this three issues. Operational issue. Operational issue is the one-off kind of thing. Something immediate comes, you have to op- respond operationally. When Jesus was asked by the mother to, to turn water, to, to provide more wine 
in the wedding feast. That is operational issue. Of course, we can read more into it and say Jesus have the power to actually convert water into wine. But that's the operational issue. When Jesus fed the 5,000, it's operational issue because they go hungry again. A few hours later, operational issue. Of course, we can read and we can take that metaphor of how Jesus can be the bread of life and he's God who actually can provide. But these are operational issues. And our church here, we do have an operational issue now. Pray for us as uh, members of the elders. We are meeting tomorrow night and we have to decide on how we actually respond to this, this COVID-19 in our midst. But it's an operational issue. It will go away. But this is an operational issue. It's a one-off immediate thing. Then there's a tactical issue. Tactical issue. When Jesus was tempted by Satan in the wilderness, when Jesus was tempted by Satan in the wilderness, Satan offered him all the kingdom if Jesus was just to bow down and worship him. That means Jesus' job is done. He got all the followers he won. Tactical issue. Why don't Jesus just bow down? By bowing down, he have got all the kingdom. Isn't that what he wanted? When people try to force Jesus to be their ruler, Jesus walked away as he also resisted Satan not bowing down to Satan. Sometimes tactical issue, a ta- a, 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 something you can do over a short period of time to push your tactic through may not be the good one. It's tactical issue. We must always question, is it strategic? Does this thing we decide on or to do, is it strategic to our organization, to what we actually are? It's our long-term plan. It's define who we are, why we are here, it's our long-term plan. So we must always keep an eye on the ball that it should always be a long-term plan as you steward God's material possession given to you, all God's goodness, as even as you become a steward yourself under God. Go for the long-term plan. So what is the long-term goal? What is the long-term goal? I believe this quite clearly is that it must actually come from preaching the gospel, availing the word of God to people. This is a long-term goal. This is a long-term goal. Now, there are two things which I feel the Bible says which actually do not perish. Two things. Everything else will perish. Two things. I'm not talking about God. Man created in his image will not perish. And the next thing is his word will not perish. So preach the word of God. Study his word. Study his word. It doesn't matter if you are a little past school age and it's long term since you actually bring up the book to study. I at least read God's word at, as often as you can. As often as you can. This is our long term plan. And you can study more deeper study more deeper so what's the long term goal preach the gospel study his word 
making disciple, making disciple. And the principle of multiplying is by mentoring. Now, the servant took and doubled. Took and doubled. Whether it's 5,000 or 2,000, they double it. How can you double yourself? How can you double what God gives to you? Double yourself. Share the gospel. Bring someone up in discipleship of the Lord. You're creating another steward for the kingdom of God. Principle of multiplying ourselves. Now my prayer for my children has always been, look here, I always pray that they will know the Lord and serve the Lord more than I would ever do. But I will keep running so they have to keep chasing after me. But they are doing quite well. But that is our, we want to double ourselves. That's one of the reasons why I really, in my heart, is always to do that. That we will actually raise up new leaders, new leaders, disciples, mentoring. And we are setting up this as one of our activities for this year. So this is our stewardship. The third principle of stewardship. We have the first principle is about ownership. The second principle is administration. How do we actually work out the administration of the stewardship? And the third principle is, what's the reason for this exercise? Now, come on. Whatever I can empty my pocket and even withdraw all my bank and pass to the Lord to Wycliffe, <laughs> it's just so little to the Lord. And the Lord can have all His resources. Come on. What's the person, Lord, you put me to be just responsible for this? What I have. Or what you have. Why? Why do the Lord want us to do that? What's the reason? I believe very strongly in this. That this is a stage. Our life is just a stage where we are prepared, we are trained, and we are tested for future responsibility. I don't think our life ends when we die. Our responsibility ends as we die. But over here, we are trained, we are given opportunity, we are given resources to be trained, to be tested, to be prepared to rule 10 kingdoms, 20 kingdoms, and all that. That's what Jesus better for us. Don't just wait to expect the crown of gold, and that's it. Now, that gold on the ground in, 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 in the kingdom of God is useless. You know? We are trained, and I'm excited over this. There are more to come after death than on this earth. Much more. On this earth, we are given opportunity to be trained, to be prepared, to be tested, to be found worthy, to be taking on bigger responsibility. And I believe that is the reason of stewardship that God gives us to do. Whatever I can do here, I think is of very little significance, but more that God is putting that so that He's training me so that he can say that, come into my joy, of course, come to my joy, and I'll give you 
more responsibility. More responsibility. So this is the third principle of stewardship I'm to pass to you. The first principle is about what? Ownership. Second principle is about administration. How administration? And third principle is about what is why? What is for? It's for us to be trained, tested. Finally, I like last question. It's a cheeky question. What have you buried? What have I buried? Let's pray. Our Father God, we thank you, dear Lord God, that you have given us an opportunity to be tested, to be prepared, to be trained for something, dear Lord God, you are preparing us when we meet you. We thank you for the resources you gave us in our hand. We thank you for the freedom you gave us to to, to work at it responsibly in the sphere you put us in, the sphere of influence we are in, the location we are in, the neighborhood we are in, the church we are in. We thank you for that, dear Lord God. We pray, dear Lord God, that we always keep our eye on you as we work hard at it or try our best, dear Lord God. We will not put our agenda into that, dear Lord God. We pray that we will not put the need to get our glory from what we do. We pray for that. Forgive us when we do. So we pray, thanking you. We pray this all in Jesus' precious name. Amen.